You're listening to My Cryptid Vacation, Episode 6. College has ended. An impossibly long and anxiously open summer awaits. So, naturally, I decided to take a bit of a trip. Driving from the outskirts of Chicago, my destination is Rhinelander, Wisconsin, about five hours, one way. In order to make sure I got there in time, I had to leave pretty early in the morning. Deliriously early, some might say. Well, it's 7 a.m. and I'm gonna see the hodag. 7 a.m. and it's gonna see the. I'm gonna see the hodag. 7 a.m. and I'm gonna see the hodag song. It's 7 a.m. and I'm gonna see the hodag. 7 a.m. and I'm gonna see the hodag. 7 a.m. and I'm gonna see the hodag in this song. Woo! The chase was on, and the only thing that could stand between me and this mischievous mythical monster was 350 miles of good old-fashioned American highway. Welcome to my cryptid vacation. Wisconsin to visit the Rhinelander Historical Museum for the Rhinelander Historical Society and hopefully get a bit more information about this mischievous beast. The chamber of Rhinelander uh, has not responded to my inquiry email. But after a bit of web snooping, it looks like the best place to get answers about the origin of the Hodag and, I guess, kind of why it plays such a pervasive role in Rhinelander culture is going to be the historical society. So I'm hoping that I can find someone to talk to me. Um, I'll give them a call in about three hours. Rhinelander, Wisconsin is a small town of around 8,000 people, and over half a dozen hodag statues, murals, and drawings. Now that we've ventured into properly cryptid territory, I'm a little bit excited in earnest to learn about the actual cryptid, like what is a hodag? What is the name from? What does it do? Kind of, who's the first to see it? I think that, I mean, as much as I love Bigfoot in, uh, <laughs> in all the various interpretations, there's something to be said for these kind of underground cryptids. 
lack the popular or structural support. You know, I don't, I don't know if there are too many movies about the Hodag. All these questions, and more, will be answered eventually. The driving wasn't bad, but I found myself perplexed by a few of the Chicagoland billboards I caught sight of on the drive up. I'm passing a billboard, and it's a black billboard with white sans-serif text, uh, and it just says, single, question mark. Uh, so that's kind of weird, right? Another billboard has a picture of a dancing woman, and it says, Cannabis, your new summer fling. It's tough, at least for me, to determine if a cryptid exists to sell something, or that's just the most recent application of its image. But it's easy to see how the Hodag, or even Bigfoot, acts as a story that started somewhere, spread, and became part of a counterculture, and then was adopted into the acceptably hipster. You know, the social democracy over capitalist, the atheist or Wiccan over mainline Christian, the tea over coffee. Opinions that might start a conversation at Thanksgiving, but won't get you ridden out of town on a rail. Then it was commodified by communities that needed to pull cash to stay alive, as is the case with the Hodag, or by individuals or small companies looking to create an identifiable brand with relatively little effort. But what do I know? I think the best part about the Illinois toll booth right on the Illinois-Wisconsin border is just knowing that they don't let you get away with anything. Like, you are not in Illinois for longer than 30 seconds before J.D. Pritzker knows exactly who you are and whether or not you've paid 150 to drive on his goddamn roads. We pushed through beautiful Madison and beyond, blasting through Wisconsin maybe a little bit faster than the speed limit. But as far as I'm concerned, that's Wisconsin tradition. This stretch of highway would begin my morbid fascination with the roadkill on the road trip. Something I'm really not quite used to is seeing the roadkill on the road. Sometimes it's the full body of a possum or a skunk that's just like next to the street. Sometimes it's just a red splotch in one of the middle lanes. And you just know that someone hit it and then like 15 people just went over it again and again and again, just grinding the body down. Highway doesn't really even give you time to stop, get out of the way, swerve around it. I mean, it's, and swerving around it isn't exactly recommended. I keep being struck by the somewhat morbid thought, I wonder if I could just pull over, you know, put a piece of roadkill into my car. And then, when I get home, like, take some of its bones, you know? Strip down a skull, or femur or leg bones, or things like that. I don't know. And I know that it's not very dignified for a, a, young, a young buck to be used as a paperweight or a, a wall decoration, but I can't help but think that that's somewhat more noble, or at least more useful, than letting it rot on the concrete. 
you know? More to come on that particular front later on. I was about two hours from Rhinelander when I had an interesting conversation. So I stopped at a gas station and I, over small talk, mentioned my current investigation to the clerk, who, uh, a woman who's wearing uh, kind of tortoise shell glasses, and her eyes light up, and she starts telling me about C A P S. Caps that has uh, recently met in. So she's she's getting a part for her car in Mountain, Wisconsin, and the the caps is caps is just present, hanging out, doing their thing. It's the cryptid alien paranormal something. Tells me to check it out. Um, and I don't know something about the way that we went from being strangers to the mention of cryptids. And of course, she's very, oh, yeah, I'm not really that big into the cryptids and things like that. But they hung out, and she appears to be at least passingly familiar with it and knows what the hodag is and everything like that. And the way that we went from being strangers, me buying a bag of pretzels, to she's taking me around the shop, and she's showing me a map, and she's pointing me in the location... I don't know. There is something very magical about it. Alright, we have crossed the Wisconsin River. We are closing in on our destination. The roadkill is now including birds. And no one has responded to my uh, calls. So... Moment of truth is on the horizon, regardless of whether or not they're able to see me. Uh, I will definitely explore the town. Explore the town and see what there is to see. Try to grab a few Hodag statue pictures, things of that nature. But uh, we're, we're holding out hope. The woods are dense up here. It's recently rained, so there's a kind of fresh sheen on them. Um, a lot of pines, like evergreens, and I don't know, it closes in on the road in some places. Um, I'm on a county road that's, you know, pretty well maintained, but it seems pretty clear to me that this is, this is logging territory. A lot of wooden fences and uh, kind of like, you know, like raw wood fences. Um, and just the density of this forest. I mean, there are houses that are 200, 300 yards back from the road, and they are just invisible through this foliage. Rhinelander, Wisconsin, is a town of some 8,000 people, 
first settled in 1882 and incorporated 12 years later. It's the seat of Oneida County, a former lumber hub, and currently a haven for all sorts of outdoorsiness, from hunting to biking to snowshoeing. It's a quaint little town, in touch with its history. And it's absolutely obsessed with the hodag. The grinning green face of the creature, which resembles a cross between a cat of prey and a dragon, with white spines and teeth, and, usually, menacing red eyes, is everywhere in Rhinelander. A mural to the creature adorns the town's water tower. A hodag claw clutches the ball in a sign for a local tennis court, and at least a dozen cars that I could see boasted bumper stickers modeled to look like custom Wisconsin license plates, featuring one word. Hodag. And you'll never guess what the high school's mascot is. For such an unknown cryptid, I mean, I had never heard of the creature before starting this trip, the hodag has rubbed shoulders with some pretty prestigious intellectual property. It's canonically included in the Wizarding World of J.K. Rowling as a magical North American beastie that's moderately dangerous, but a hassle to deal with due to its clever pranks. The hodag also made an appearance in an episode of the recent Scooby-Doo reboot, Mystery Incorporated, as a menacing, if photophobic, jewel thief. As an easter egg for the initiated, Eugene, well, his friends call him Gene, Shepard was also in the episode, decked out in a red suit and suspicious, salesman-like demeanor. More on Gene Shepard, the guy who discovered what we call the hodag, later on. The hodag falls firmly in the cryptid subcategory of fearsome critters, given its logging origins and unlikely background. The first hodag, reported by Gene Shepard, was utterly obliterated in the dynamite trap designed to catch it, for example, leaving no shred of evidence, unfortunately. Some other logging camp critters include the etymologically similar hugag, who's a kind of antlerless, moose-like creature, whose lip is so big it can't graze, and whose legs are locked in perpetual extension so that it can't lie down, condemning it to a rather fruitless existence. Or there's the more malicious hide-behind, a kind of uh, indeterminately sized creature that can, at a glance, contort itself to hide behind something and prevent it from being seen from any one perspective. Gene Shepard likely wasn't the first to report a hodag or even create evidence for one. His story just caught on. Given all this, the story of the hodag grew from its lumbering roots into at least more mainstream appreciation. Back in the present, I parked in the classiest of road trip locations, the local McDonald's. I stopped by the Rhinelander Historical Society, thankfully open and simply busy, hence not being able to pick up the phone, and spoke with a very helpful volunteer. A docent at the Historical Society, Bill Vankos, helped me understand how and why the mysterious beast had taken over the town. Here's a here's a really old 
old one would look like with wood and the old type phone in here. So <laughs> most young people can't. Just just a quick aside. No, I, last I week last week I had a family in here and this little five year old. So I'm, I like to engage the children because if they're interested, the parents are having a good time. Yeah. So I say to this little guy, I said, do you have any idea what that is? He goes, yeah, it's a phone booth. I said, wait a minute, how old are you? He goes, five. I said, how can you possibly know what that is? His mother turns to me and says, we watch a lot of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> it's just, it was so funny the way she said it. We watch a lot of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> I, uh, I remember I was... Um, I, re I read a lot of the Encyclopedia Brown books. If you, it was like a like a child's mystery series, and it was like the one minute or the five oh, minute mysteries. No. And I remember I was reading one, and I, I solved it correctly. And the clue involved someone was dialing, and someone had heard the clicks, and it was like, oh, the the Z was on the like the first or the last button, and I the number of I knew would, it, would, and it like blew my mom away. Could, could interpret the the phone number from that. Yeah. Like, All right, let's talk away. Yeah, uh, so I don't know a lot. I saw on the Chamber of Commerce, I saw it was kind of vaguely associated with like wood and forestry in the area. It's kind of like a mythical okay. trickster. Correct. It, 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 it has its origins from that, but what it really started was more or less just a tale. There were logging camps where they would cut the trees down and then ship those logs to sawmills to, to actually you know, make lumber out of them. So there were 40 of these logging camps around Rhinelander that was supplying wood for eight sawmills that were here. This was in the late 1800s when, when it was really taken off. So there would be, in the evening, these loggers, after they had dinner, before they went to sleep so that they could work their 12-hour day the next day, they would swap stories. So the story of the Hode kind of started as one of these Almost, you know, like you envision people getting together now and telling spooky stories and stuff like that. It was kind of a story that started like that. But for Rhinelander, it started in 1893 when a man by the name of Eugene Shepard, Eugene Simon Shepard, announced in the paper that he had found a hode and he tried to capture it, but unfortunately it died in the process. He used dynamite, and, and somehow it died. Okay, uh, for people who knew a lot about uh, surveying and, and land and stuff like that, they knew that in every township, what you know, the the. The, when they did the surveying for the thing, they, they divide everything up into townships, and each township has 36 sections in a township. It's That's why you can describe property by northwest corner, southwest corner of section, such and such. Yeah. Okay, when he announced it, he announced that it was in north of Rhinelander in section 37. So he was giving a little bit of a hint that this might not be true, but 99% of people didn't know, you know, didn't know there was only 36 sections in it, so so they took it as kind of gospel, right? Mm -hmm. He he was a prankster by by nature. So anyway, so in 1893 he announces that he saw the hood egg, tried to capture it, used some dynamite, and it died in the process. So he didn't have it, but he drew a picture of what, to his recollection, what it looked like. So this is the first time that this story of a hode that may have been floating around actually had a physical presence. It had a, a picture that people could actually look at and see what it was. So he is definitely credited with that. Okay, Got to be careful because people are very 
territorial about the hoarding around here. And you got to be careful about saying that the story may have been out before Gene Shepard because I could be put onto a stake and burned for, for saying that, okay? Around here, this is a Rhinelander phenomena that started right here and nobody else has any rights to it, okay? Okay, maybe, maybe not. All right, so anyway, so, so 1893, there's a story in the paper, there's this drawing of it. Now, three years later, he announces that he's captured one. So now he's more successful. He's actually captured the beast this time. So he has it. Truth be known, he and some friends built one out of a stump with hide over it, with some cattle horns on it. So they built this. It just so happened that 1896 was the first Oneida County Fair. And there wasn't much to display at the fair because, you know, there wasn't, you know, agriculture-wise, you know, our growing season is short and our soil's not real good up here. So, lo and behold, he had the hoedig that he could show at the fair. Great attraction, brought a lot of people in. So he has it in this dark tent, charges a dime to look at it, which back then was a lot of money. And, and he scared the bejeepers out of everybody that do not rile this beast. I mean, he could lunge at you. We got it chained down, but you know, this is a vicious beast. So people are just peeking in to look at it in this dark tent. And he's got his kids in the sawdust and they're pulling chains to make it move a little bit. And they're rubbing some wood together to make some eerie sounds, you know, stuff like that. So he was very good at, at, at that sort of a thing. So, so that's where it really got its start there. Then he would have it, and he had just four houses from here, down by St. Augustine's Church is where he lived at the time. So he had it in his garage there. And so he would bring people from the, the railroad depot, which is about three blocks away. It's not anymore, but it was. And he would walk them over to the house. And he had some signal for the kids when he, when he was coming, and they got pressed into service. They did not like it, but, you know, as a whistle, as a bird sound, or some sound. And they would have to stop playing and go over and, you know, get in there and do it. And they just hated it. I'm sure the other kids teased them, you know, or that dad with that whole day, you know. But anyway, so, so people were coming up. This Gene Shepard was a natural promoter. First of all, he was a, a timber cruiser. A timber cruiser is somebody that goes out and looks at your property and calculates how much board feet of lumber probably could come off of that property. And that's how, that's how land was valued back then. So, so he was a great timber cruiser. He was also a great surve a surveyor. He surveyed most of this area around here. And in the process, he named over 100 lakes. Because as he's surveying it, and come up to a lake, he would give it a name. For instance, there's Lake Mildred north of town here. That was his first wife's name. You know, there's a Shepherd Lake. There's a, you know, all, you know, the, he just got to name all that. Anyway, he was very, very highly regarded as a timber cruiser and as a, uh, a surveyor. It, it was said that if there was some legal dispute, if somebody presented his documents in court, they went unchallenged. That's just the reputation he had. So he definitely was on the top of his game for, for timber cruising and for surveying. Okay? He was also a promoter of this area. He realized how beautiful this area was. And, and no one spent more time surveying it and cruising it than him. He knew this whole area. And he knew that if people would only come up here, they would fall in love with it. They'd want a vacation. They'd want to move up here to live. They'd want to bring their businesses up here. So he was this one-man chamber of commerce good one, that, that actually was promoting this area. 
So he contacts like the paper in Minneapolis and Chicago and Milwaukee and leaks the story out. Pretty soon they're sending reporters up here to find out what's going on with this crazy beast that you know nobody's ever heard of. And guess what? They're also writing articles about, man, is this beautiful you know, place? It just worked perfectly. And, and just to give you an example, I mean, he was willing to spend money. He had kind of an up-and-down life, but when he made money, he was spending it. In 1903, he commissions our Rhinelander Boat Company to build him a boat 61 feet long, 11 feet wide, and he was going to sail down the Mississippi to St. Louis because the 1904 World's Fair was going to be in St. Louis. He was going to promote this area down there. Okay? He, spent, he, he paid $11,000 in 1903 to the boat company to build that boat for him. He put another $9,000 into furnishing it. There's silverware upstairs that was monogrammed with it. I mean, this was a fancy thing. So he's got $20,000. If you use the 30 multiplier that I'm told from 1900 till now, that's north of a half a million dollars he put in this thing. So he was willing to spend his money when he had it to help promote the area. Okay, so I mean, he was, he was, this thing was just working great. People are coming up, you know, they're reading about it, they're coming up to the, by then the logging was starting to slow down, so then it started turning into more tourists. You know, and initially, if you had a piece of property and had a lake on it, you were cursed, because you can't grow trees on a lake, right? After the logging is done, they realized the, the, the importance of lakes, and so it, there was this transformation, because no, Prior to that, hunting and fishing was for subsistence. You know, that's what you lived off up here. Now there's this transformation to tourism, to let's do it for enjoyment rather than for subsistence. And it was a perfect timing. So he's promoting this and people are coming. It's working out just, just wonderful for him, okay? He, ne he doesn't get to go down to the World's Fair because the boat didn't get done in time and he had some school teachers that were going to go with him and they couldn't commit because it was too late in the season. So he never did do it and the boat rotted away. It was a shame for that. Mm -hmm. but, but it's just an example of what he was willing to do. And, and so this hodag really played a part in that marketing of it, you know, to draw people up to this area. And he was a prankster. He just... He was the perfect guy, right? He, he knows the surveying. He knows the, 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 the land. He's a, he's a, so he's good that way. He's just a practical joker by heart. He just loves to play jokes on people. One time, he announced that he found some scented moss. Truth be known, he took some cheap perfume and doused it on there. Anyway, he announces this. Next thing you know, people are buying it from him. And there's a woman's group here in town that's helping him box it up. <laughs> and he didn't do it to, to, to fleece people out of money. I mean, it, that, it was, he was motivated by the, the, the prankster part of it, not, not, the, not to you know, be a, a shyster and just you know, separate people from their money. He just loved playing pranks on people. And there's lots of other pranks that he pulled on people. He, to be honest with you, he wasn't so well liked by a lot of people around town because they were the, the butt of his jokes and his stuff. And so... He, he, he wasn't, at the end, held in real high regard. Poor guy died penniless and probably with no friends. I mean, it, it's, it's sad in that respect. Like I said, I, I don't know if he had bipolar. I don't know. He had something going on because he had so many good points and he, he, he made lots of money. And then he had some real dark times, you know, when he was going through. So I feel sorry for him for that part. But, but he couldn't have been a better person 
to do this marketing. He, he loved the marketing. He was the practical joker. He knew the area. He just had everything to go. So, so he has this hoed egg and, and he's, he's showing it off quite a bit. He at one time had a resort up by Boulder Junction, probably 50 miles or so north of here. And it was called the House of the Good Shepherd, spelled the way he spells shepherd. And, and there was a fire up there, and the original one and only Hoday that he built got destroyed up there. So, so it, it was gone. He died in 23, so sometime before that, the Hoday ceased to exist. So that was the one and only one that he, that he, uh, that he did. So, but then, since then, it's taken legs of its own. I mean, at one time, you'd go in the, in the uh, phone book and you'd probably see this many businesses that were hodeg something or other, you know, yeah. hodeg laundry, hodeg liquor, hodeg whatever, you know. So it took off and, and, and grew beyond him. But it started as a, you know, a prank, but, you know, and, and I tell that to children, you know, you know, it's not good to lie and all that stuff, but there are things called white lies where... Maybe you tell a fib, maybe mom shows you this new dress and says, what does it look like? You don't like it, but what do you say? Oh, mom, you look beautiful, you know? So there are white lies. I, I, that's how I explain it to children. So, but he did it for good intention. He wanted to market this area to draw people up here, and it, it, and it did it without a doubt. So Without a doubt. So it was kind of like a one-man show for the, the original, like the original Hodag and the kind of... Yes, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was a one-man... Chamber of Commerce promoting it, yeah. Would you know a lot about when it kind of, and how it took legs of its own? Like, was that kind of like a community, like, he had died a few years went by? Oh, no, it, it took legs when he was still alive. As a matter of fact, he, he, he did that to the papers, and they were writing about it. Pretty soon the Smithsonian Institute hears about it, sends him a letter. They're sending a guy up to check it out. He had to face up that it was a prank then. He, he, so, so he had to... He had to fess up at that point, and I'm not sure when that was. It was sometime before, way before he died. So you know, I mean, you know, the original Hode died. I don't know. Manek was up there, maybe in the teens, you know, nineteen teens or something. Yeah, I can't remember the exact time, but anyway, but it, it took off almost immediately. Like when those papers started writing about it, and they started sending it, you know reporters up here, it just took off, and then. The people that came up here to, you know, recreate went back and told all their neighbors and pretty soon everybody's coming up. So it, it really just mushroomed up. Would you say that like a lot of people like me kind of stop by like tell me about the tell me about the hodag? Like, oh, yeah. Is that like a common yeah. is it like a lot of yeah. traffic? And it is and, 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 and as a community we're proud of it. It's something unique. I mean if I travel around if I go down to Milwaukee, I have a a hodeg on my debit card. But even I'll just give you an example. If, if I go down, if I if I pay something with this, that is amazing. About half of the people are going to say, "Oh, you're from Rhinelander." I mean, people associate that. The other half will say, "Oh, look at the cute dragon." So I know they've never been up here, right? Okay, but but if you mention hodeg, you've got way better than a fifty-fifty chance anywhere in the state that people are going to know you're from Rhinelander. I mean, we it is a real brand you know, specific thing for this area. Yeah. And, and like I said, we take pride in it. You know, I mean, it's it's unique to us, you know. The ones And like I said, kind of off the record, it really got started before he did it, but he's the guy who gave it the physical presence, and he's the one that marketed it out rather than just a, you know, just a little BS tale at, you know, in the evening at the logging camp kind of thing. But yeah.
I feel like that happens a lot. Like the person, the first guy to write it down gets credit for the folk song or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's wow. And I, I, you'd said a lot of businesses in town have kind of co-opted. Oh, they have. It's not so many right now, but boy, that name was. If you go back, in, especially like in the fifties and sixties, yeah, they're like I said, the phone book would be this long with Hodeg something. You know, you know, everybody just loved that name. And, and, uh, yeah. Is that? And I don't this probably is in your wheelhouse, but like, was that kind of, were there nearby towns who were trying to kind of like also cash in on that? Like, no, or is it a Rhinelander specific no, it was. town about, about three or four years ago, a city in Michigan announced they wanted to have a whole day of days. People here just were beside themselves. They you know, can't do this, you know. There's a few of us that know that perhaps it didn't start 100% here, but you couldn't say that because you get, I'd get hung up, and, you know, uh, seriously, people take this thing with pride and, and, and ownership to this thing. So there was this community, they, they ended up dropping it and didn't have it, but, but there was somebody that for some reason wanted to, to kick it up to, I still don't know why. And, I mean, as far as I know, Gene Shepard well, and Hoday never went to Michigan. He went up to like Boulder Junction's the only place I know that he took it to besides here. So, yeah. so I don't know why they thought they should have some ownership to it. But anyway, they dropped. Finally. They dropped, yeah. Enough, enough community action rallied up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If they would have sent some people here, they, they would have been showing the city limits. I mean, this would have been good. So, could have brought us so, 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 yeah. So... Do we, we have a lot of pride in it. it. It really is an identifier for this area. Like I said, I, at least half the people, when I pull that card out, know I'm from Rhinelander right away, you know. And, and you know, I have Hodeg on the back of my car. I mean, most people do. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's just we just take pride in it because it's kind of unique to us. You know? I was, um, I looked at, on the, this is on the Chamber of Commerce website. There is a, there are a bunch of Hodeg with murals and statues around town. Yes, the, the chamber did that as a fundraiser for a number of years. First they were great big ones and they would have people paint them and then they would auction off about six or eight a year and then they kind of ran out of people that were willing to spend that kind of money on them. So then they yeah. did smaller versions for a while and then they kind of ran out of the people that were willing to, to write checks for those. So, so yeah, they've tried to promote it and they branded, like they've got the statue there and they have it's a new modern hodeg looking to the side that they actually have a copyright on that look of it. They don't have it on the hodeg per se, but on their their drawing of it, they actually have it copyrighted. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but there's, you know, I still like the old fashioned one, you know, the, just the side view that, you know, that I remember from when I was a kid. I don't really like this the new one, you know. But anyway, that's all the mascots are more menacing now. Everybody yeah. likes that. But yeah, I mean, the Hodeg's been on Scooby Doo. It's been on uh, Specker, Speckler, the root beer. They made a watermelon with a Hodeg on it. So it's been around. I mean, it's made TV and and uh, some other marketing stuff. Yeah, I mean, people when you see it, it's it's just just this unique character that you know that you just get kind of drawn to because you don't really have anything to compare it to right away, you know? As, as tricky and chaotic as the as Eugene himself. He's, the guy is just, I tell you stories, that scented moss, I mean, he just, there's a story, he was downtown with his horse and buggy, and he pulls up, and tobacco used to be in this big cube-like chunk, he used to buy it in. And so he pulls up, this guy says, hey, got any tobacco? The guy says, sure. He says, so you mind if I take a bite off at the corner? I said, yeah, go ahead. 
So he takes off and it goes down the next block, stops at the intersection, <laughs> takes a bite out of him. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. But here's one, you can understand why people didn't, some people didn't like him. He, he goes, he's down at the train one day when the train comes in, and this guy comes off and he stutters really, really bad. And, and, but he gets it out that he's here to see the certain individual. So Gene sends him not to that individual, sends him to a merchant who's got a, on Davenport Street who also has a terrible stutter. So he sends the guy to there. So he, this guy walks in the store, and these two guys with terrible stutters are trying to communicate with each other. Pretty soon they look out, and they see Gene Shepard looking in the window laughing. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that can kind of make you not real happy with them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, for all of his good qualities, there was maybe this, you know, joker side of him that, that you know, did hurt people a little, you know. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it wasn't just a fleece amount of big money, you know, I mean, I'm sure he sold that moss for something, but it wasn't a get-rich scheme kind of a thing, but, but things like the stuttering thing, I mean, that's just, just not a nice thing to do, you know, so you can understand why that merchant and his friends would think he was a dirty, rotten, you know, so-and-so for doing it, and that, that's what led to people not, you know, up not liking him. But imagine word, word spread pretty fast oh, sure. around yeah. the, around and like the I said, so you either, you know, a butt of his jokes, or you had a friend who got burnt by you know, something like that. But but we should that shouldn't. We need to separate in some respects the man from the hode. You know, the hode as a mythical beast, as a instrument for marketing here, standalone is is a good good story. Okay. Yeah. The guy who did it had lots and lots of good traits and qualities. He also had some. You know, they were all. We're not perfect, right? So, anyway. So, I, yeah. I would stress the good parts and maybe leave the other parts for people to find out on their own someday. But, you know. But I, I, I think you can tell a good story in a hoodie without having to say, you know, that the guy who created it was a, you know, a mean guy. Because the creation of the hoodie was all for good and intense purposes to help market this area. I'll go straight right. to the source. Thank you so very You're much. You're very welcome. Safe travels. Yeah, I will. I will do my best. Take Hello, care. Rick. It's a short walk from the Rhinelander Historical Society to my next stop. Pioneer Park Railway Museum. As the name might imply, this is a public park with several squat wooden buildings to one side that's a fully functioning, and honestly pretty engaging, museum. I'm not usually one for trains or train history, but the number of everyday artifacts really does paint a picture of what life was like here, even a century ago. The star of the show is probably the decommissioned train engine and accompanying artifacts, from antique switchboards and railway spikes to indescribable knickknacks that wouldn't have looked out of place glued to a steampunk cosplayer's top hat. There are many different buildings that make up the museum, not all of them railway-related per se. One building, smelling deliciously of oil and metal, is an exhibit of motorboats used to traverse Wisconsin's waterways while another cabin has decommissioned fire engines and firefighting equipment from way back to not that long ago. 
there's even a full-sized teepee outdoors, a nod to the original inhabitants of the area. Oneida County, of which Rhinelander is the county seat, is named after the indigenous Oneida people, or more specifically the Oneida Nation, around Green Bay, Wisconsin. A section of the museum is fashioned like a logging bunkhouse and chock-full of authentic logging tools, from saws to clothing. And, of course, there's a section on the hodag as well, featuring a replica specimen behind glass that roars at the push of a button. What you're here, then it's done, and then I'll flip the switch again for you, so you get it, okay? Yeah, thank you. Was this museum technically a hodag cryptid museum? No. But there aren't really hodag museums in the same way that there are Bigfoot museums. No one that I could find is arguing for the existence of the hodag in good faith, or with any sort of scientific basis. Beside, I think it's impossible to begin to understand the hodag without taking the history of the area and a bit of the culture surrounding it into account. My final stop in Rhinelander was the Hodag store, which, as far as I could tell, was unaffiliated with either the Historical Society or the Pioneer Park Museum. It plays its own game, and that game is selling the crap out of every kind of Hodag merchandise imaginable. Hodag t-shirts, hats, coloring books, mason jars, slinkies, bucket hats, Hodag hunting permits, hockey pucks, foam footballs, and even some locally branded alcoholic beverages for those hodag explorers ages 21 and up. Everything a hodag enthusiast could need. And possibly more. Maybe my favorite was a white keychain with two hodags locked in an amorous affair, with the caption, Hodags are horny. Business at the hodag store was good, and I didn't want to take up too much time for a sales pitch of this wacky homebrewed project. I awkwardly approached the guy behind the counter, gave a pitch of the project in a nutshell, and gave him my email if he wanted to reach out to talk about his experiences running such an attraction as this. Two months down the line, I can confirm he did not. I'm not sure if it was the doing of the much-maligned Rhinelander Chamber of Commerce, but one thing was for certain. The town's hodag attractions were, well, attracting. And although my findings could be skewed because of when I was visiting, peak tourist season in the middle of the summer, Rhinelander seemed to be poppin'. I have a suspicion that it was just the wildness of today. Today was just an on day. You know, it's the beginning of summer. It's a weekend. But the historical museum, poppin'. Tons of people there, people upstairs, people downstairs, people in the same room. Other tours going on at the same time. Went to Pioneer Park, ton of people. Um, There was a party going on, like an outdoor celebration. People were sitting around smoking, talking about relatives they'd lost. The museum, there were people in virtually every part of the exhibit. And finally, the Hodag store. I mean, that the, the, the place was packed. I asked someone there what, what brought them in, and uh, he, he smiled sheepishly and said that uh, his daughter had 
recently joined a mailing list and had, you know, been swept over by Hodag mania. So they were paying a, paying a bit of pilgrimage. There was no way I was going to pass up the chance to take a photo with the world's largest Hodag statue, outside of the Rhinelander Chamber of Commerce, on my way out of town. There's got to be something in the air, because here I am at the statue of the Hodag outside of the visitor center, and no fewer than two like groups are taking photos with it. The modern hodag from the fictional Section 37 was conceived by a promoter as mischievous as the creature he promoted. Maybe more than any cryptid on this trip, I firmly believe that the hodag wasn't created for the money so much as it was made for and by the identity of the place it hails from. From its humble origins as a logging camp tall tale, and more than likely prank used to haze the new guys, the hodag today is town pride incarnate. Taking pains to protect their cultural copyright, the town of Rhinelander has kept their history alive with a surefire strategy, not even letting it become history. Join us next week as we zoom across the heartland, from forest to desert, as we travel from Wisconsin to sunny Roswell, New Mexico. We'll jump from a cryptid a century old to one that's beyond ancient, but really came to attention when a peculiar crash and potential government cover-up intersected in 1947. We'll visit the International UFO Museum, next week on My Cryptid Vacation. It's 7 a.m. and we're gonna see the Hodag 7 a.m. Gonna see the Hodag 7 a.m. and we're gonna see the Hodag song. The highway stretches out before us, time to get a bit sonorous. 7 a.m. and we're gonna see the Hodag song. My Cryptid Vacation is a podcast recorded, edited, and produced by me, Clovis. If you like what I do, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash clovisthefox. Special thanks to Bill Vankos, whose storytelling and generosity made this episode possible. The outro music is The Hodag Song, by me, to the tune of Plastic Jesus, by Ed Rush and George Cromerty. My Cryptid Vacation is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Singing the Hodag song Made mainstream by Eugene Shepherd Quick and quiet as a leopard 7am and we're singing the Hodag